Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Amanda Loudon. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Good. We've had some tech hurdles, but hopefully we have cleared them now. So let's... Fingers crossed. Yes. You're letting... Uh, is not helping anything. Oh my goodness. It's like we tripped on our laces in the first mile, but we still got a whole bunch of miles left. We can, we can you know, regain from the fumble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what articles are you writing these days? Um, and so I just heard one in today that's kind of cool. It's um, looking at how athletes use cannabis. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, one of my um, old friends from Baltimore, she um, was a pro triathlete for many years. And um, she's out in Boulder now. And she just did, she's, a, she's an epidemiologist. And so she did the first research into <gasps> how athletes are using cannabis. Um, I I gotta say, I have been wanting to do this as a topic for the podcast, but oh. I was having trouble finding an expert. Oh, Joanna would be perfect. And yes, ma'am. Oh my yeah. gosh. This yes. is like, like so meta. We're multitasking. I've now, <laughs> in the intro to one podcast, found the expert for another. There we go. This makes up for the technical issues. Yes. You've just earned your keep, Amanda. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so we will discuss that offline but uh where's that article gonna be appearing uh washington post so fantastic yeah. good yeah. when when's it slated to run um you know i don't usually know um oh, okay yeah i mean probably in the next couple of weeks i would guess so, oh good oh good yeah. yeah i mean you know living out here on the west coast you know um cannabis cbd all very much as mainstream as you know Budweiser beer. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and WADA and USADA have both um, increased the limit um, that is okay to use, except in mm -hmm. competition. So, like, if you're getting tested out of competition, um, you have to have a lot in your system before it's going to hit, well, I think, before it's going to hit their, you know, their limit. So, mm -hmm. um, so it is being used more often. And, um, you know, it is something interesting to, to kind of, you know. Yep. Particularly in the ultra, from what I've read, in the ultra running Sphere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Where I don't think they're testing actually. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But anyhow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have um, an anecdote and, you know, being the host of this podcast, I'm like, okay, then what can I, in my real life, what can I bring that's running related as a story? <laughs> so uh, to always try to have an upside, I'm like, well, at least it'll be a story for the podcast. So, my latest is a, um, so on Saturday, Molly, my running partner and I met up with another friend, Sheila, and, um, at a trail, which is kind of different for us, you know, usually we're road runners. And so I grabbed my pair of running shoes that have a like hole in the, um, the cushioning that's around the heel cup and it has okay. like I just have these kind of bony ankles that rub kind of oddly and so um they kind of just chew holes in the, that part of my shoe and I for the first time looked at it and thought huh maybe I shouldn't wear those anymore mm, nah <laughs> I actually thought nah it goes really cute with my outfit so I'm wearing these shoes <laughs> <laughs> says the former athletic footwear editor of shape magazine right uh, right <laughs> <That's the same laughs> <one. laughs> so so we start running start running and i'm like huh wow the back of my heel really hurts huh hmm 
hmm, wow, it's not. And I'm like, oh, it must be like something in my shoe. So I had, you know, Molly and Sheila stop for a second. Nope, no rock in my shoe. Keep going. Finally, I'm like, oh, I think it's a blister. <laughs> like, I'm so unaccustomed to blisters right, that I wasn't, right. I didn't even, I'm like, wow, that burning sensation at the back of my heel. What could it possibly be? Um, and oh, it could be a quarter size, um, you know, incredibly bus filled blister as we approach the three mile mark. So, and it's an out and back trail. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I can't like, and Molly was like, it's okay. We can switch to fast walking. And I take like three fast walking strides. I'm like, no, that kills too. So, um, Sheila's training for a half marathon. So she and Molly went on after Molly had said, oh, Sarah, just walk barefoot back <laughs> to the car. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, whatever anybody tells me, I'll do that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Any repercussions from that? Right, well, forgetting that I don't even walk barefoot in my own house because of my plantar fasciitis, you know, it's gone now, but it could come back any second. So I walked barefoot for maybe a third of a mile. And if I had continued to walk barefoot, I'd probably still be walking back. Um, so I was just going way too slow. So I realized that I was going to have to pitch those shoes anyway or you know, recycle them. And so I put my put my socks on over my muddy feet and then just stomped on the back of the heel, the the affected foot. And so wore my, my running shoe kind of the, then became a slide without a back on it. So... Um, yeah. yeah. So still walked the whole way back, but made pretty good time. Um, so that was a bummer. Is it healed up enough that you can run now? So I drained it and, and it was fine because, um, John, my 14 year old son who just started a very rigorous, um, dance program at school had came home the first day with just blisters all over his feet. Cause they did African dancing barefoot the first day for three and a half hours. Um, so, <laughs> so he, he had shown me his feet and, you know, we drained them and he's, you know, cut some of the, the skin was just like a flap. Maybe I should have given a warning before this. Um, and, and so, <laughs> so anyway, so I thought, Oh, this will be a good bonding thing with me and John. And I'm like, Hey John, look at this huge blister. I got want to come drain it with me. He's like, Oh my, that's gross. I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, so um, it's all fine. It's kind of dried up now. So I'm going running tomorrow morning, you know, three days after I got it. So in the end, yes, yes. But you know how, you know how you may get like an injury that you know, isn't going to take you out forever, but you just get so bummed in the moment. Yes. And and I just was like, Oh, Oh, I didn't get, you know, I still covered almost six miles because I had to walk back. But I'm like, Oh, I wanted to run eight. Right. Right. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) And and I just said to myself, get over yourself, Sarah. Like it's a stinking blister. (laughs) Right. 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 I get it. We all get it. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so those shoes are going to um, go to the running store to get recycled or repurposed or whatever it is they do with them. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. yeah, and maybe I'll have to wear shoes that don't match my outfit quite as cutely. It's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, but I do have to say we were, um, when Molly and I parked at the, it's way over on the other side of town, so we drove up to the trailhead, and there comes just the cutest gal riding a lime scooter. And, oh. and um, the only thing up there is the trailhead. Like there's, it's not like there's a coffee shop or anything like that. And I realized I knew her. It's uh, Jessica Murphy from Bib Rave. And, oh 
she's she's been on the show you know she and her husband they're child free live in a really hip part of town and so that she said she realized that she was going to be late to meet her running buddy and so she was like oh i was going to ride a nike town um bike but i realized i didn't you know it's uphill the whole way and i wouldn't make it in time so i just hopped on lime i'm like yeah, that would never occur to me. Like, right, right. <laughs> and so she she parks it and she, you know, does the thing that she needs to do to make sure that she's, you know, turned it back in and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, to be that's so great to be thirty something clever like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's pretty quick on her feet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thinking on her feet precisely. Yeah. Boom, cha. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so as you know, Amanda, today we're going to be talking with sports psychologist Carrie Cheadle. And Carrie's going to be talking about how to dig deep in a race or a challenging workout. Figure the timing is right with fall racing season kicking off. We'll dive into digging deep after this short break. Stay with us. Carrie Cheadle is a mental skills coach practicing in Petaluma, California. She works on the performance of teams, organizations, and individual athletes and exercisers. She's the author of On Top of Your Game, Mental Skills to Maximize Your Athletic Performance, and a new book coming out next month aimed at injured runners called Rebound, Training Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries. Carrie's a repeat guest on the show, yet somehow it's been four years since the previous oh. interview. I can't believe it. Uh, I know. <laughs> so uh, welcome back, Carrie. Uh, you're well past due to be on the show again. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Good, good, good. So, Carrie, tell us a little bit about yourself as an athlete. So I came into my athletic life not until I was an adult, really. So growing up, it wasn't a pan- like it wasn't really a part of my family culture or, or where just where I was at in, in the timing of when I was growing up. So I really didn't. It wasn't until college that I started my own athletic experience and um, and in more non traditional sports. So I I was uh, doing a lot of snowboarding, which I still do. So snowboarding and rock climbing was a really big part of my life at that time. And then um, I was also a race car driver for a short period of time in there as well. And so it was, um, I learned a lot about who I was in my body during that time. I was also doing a lot of backpacking and, um, and now I, uh, I still snowboard and my main one passion is I love to trail run, which if you had asked me that at that time, not in a million years would I have ever thought that I would say running is a passion. Like ever. So it's kind of amazing to, for me sometimes to see my own uh, path in that and that that's um, something that I really, really enjoy now. Excellent. Excellent. So um, from there, how'd you end up as a mental skills coach? And you work with a whole range of different athletes? I do. Yeah. I get the chance to work with, you know, everybody from like someone that's trying to figure out how do I make health and wellness a pro- more of a priority in my life and, and even start to get into the gym to people that are professional and elite athletes performing at the you know national and international level. So I get to do an all different sports. So I, a lot of my um, area of expertise is within endurance athletes, but I do get to work with many, many different sports, many different athletes. And I, you know, it's funny at that same time when, when um, there's no way 
I would have ever thought that I would say I love running. And I would also <laughs> never have said that my career path is going to have me working with athletes. Like that just wasn't something that I thought <laughs> was in the cards for me. And so my undergraduate degree was in psychology and uh, I knew I wanted to be of service. Like I've always known that I wanted to help people and that, and that I wanted to be of service in that way. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I wanted to be a therapist until I actually literally was crossing the stage to get my diploma. And I realized like, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And um, so it was at that time, I ended up instead of going to grad school, I moved to South Lake Tahoe and just immersed myself in my own sports and um, more rock climbing and snowboarding and tried to figure out what, what's next. And it, it was during that time, my mom was also going to get her graduate degree in counseling. And when she went to an open house for the program, they had a brochure on sports psychology and she grabbed it for me. Mm. And she was like, you know, I know you're kind of trying to figure out what to do. I saw this. I thought you would like it. And I immediately grabbed it. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I had no idea it even existed. And it just like brought everything together for me where I realized my, like, as I was going through my sports and um, in particular recovering from an injury and had a, a really hard time getting my confidence back, I was recognizing some of the psychology of my own performances, but didn't know that that was a field of study, had no idea it existed. So as soon as I saw, I got the brochure, I, I went to the next open house and, and signed up. And, and that was the beginning. So don't you think that my takeaway from that is as a mom, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, we can, I mean, when you were talking about, oh, and right after I graduated college, instead of going to this graduate program, I went and lived in South Tahoe as an athlete. And it's like, you know, I, my first thought was, oh my gosh, her parents must have been like, no, 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 honey, you're <laughs> supposed to go on to like a graduate degree here. Yeah. And, and instead, you know, it's like, no, look, look at the doors that can open. And just because maybe in June, you were, you know, rock climbing and, you know, snowboarding on the final bits of snow up there in Tahoe, <laughs> it, you know, for all they, they didn't know that what waited around the corner was just you, you getting handed that brochure. So, yeah. so the takeaway is, you know, d don't feel that your kids are, you know, I don't know, flushing away their lives because they, they have right. to if they take a year off, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tangents can sometimes lead you into good places. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, I've always been fascinated by the idea of digging deep. Um, even before I, I was not an athlete as a child. And I remember whenever I'd watch the Olympics, I'd always be like, Oh, that's it. That's now that now is there a time that they have to really, you know, go out there and do it and, you know, find what they're made of. And, and so for some people, it seems thrilling and exciting, like, I guess it must for those Olympians. But, you know, there's a lot of us who dread it, or maybe dread it in advance. And then after the finish line, ride that buzz for a few days from digging deep. So for for people who do dread it, what can we do in the days immediately pre-race to frame the challenge as positive rather than something that makes our stomachs queasy? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it brilliantly just right there is, is the reframe is mm. how, how can I change my perception of how I'm thinking about this going mm. into the event? Because if you're going in dreading it, there's a whole host of um you know, their thought processes and emotions that come with that. If you're going in thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. So part of it really is accepting um, the challenge that's in front of you and accepting mm -hmm. that there is some pain that comes with that mm -hmm. kind of effort with really putting yourself out there. What's interesting to me is in my work, especially with my endurance athletes is I can't tell you how many times I get, you know, people ask me like, I, 
or they'll say they they were disappointed because they knew they could have pushed harder mm-hmm. and struggle with that idea of like how do I know that I actually pushed myself as hard as I could and often get to the finish line knowing they had more in the tank and mm-hmm. and have a hard time figuring out how do how do I bridge that gap mm-hmm. um, and so if you're if you find that you're someone that, that's dreading it um, there's a couple different things that you can do with that one is um, you know sometimes making the reframe around uh, thinking about what you're grateful for mm-hmm. instead of what you're dreading, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and doing it in a very deliberate way. Like, uh, so before, so sometimes my, the athletes that I work with part of their pre-performance routine, we might have a moment where they're um, just taking a breath, taking in the scenery around them. Cause you know, when it's race morning, a lot of times you're just like in go mode, you don't even notice what's happening around you. So I have them take a moment to kind of take in the scenery and then think of three things they're grateful for right there in that moment mm-hmm. about the race. So they just, sometimes we just need a reminder like, Oh no, I want to do this. I chose mm-hmm. to do this. I'm excited mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is just knowing, like t- letting your kind of reminding yourself that it's going to be hard and that that's okay. Um, and that it's, it's part of the journey, right? It's part of the, you know, if it was, if it was easy, if what you were about to take on was, a cakewalk, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to walk in it. I'm literally going to do a cakewalk. I'm going to walk in the circle until I win a cake. Like there's no glory in that. I mean, I don't know. I won a cakewalk one time when I was a kid. I was about to say, you sound like someone who actually knows what a cakewalk is instead of just a term. I I just realized a lot of people probably don't know that reference. But If it's it's super easy, it's not as meaningful when you get to the finish line because you're like, Mm -hmm. well, anybody could do that. So Mm -hmm. reminding yourself that, that, that digging deep and that the pain of the effort is part of the glory at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. And part of what you're saying that feeds right into um, a question that we got from Facebook, which as we often do, we turn to our, another mother runner crowd on Facebook and ask them for questions. And this one's super direct. It's from Kate who just ran her first half marathon and Kate wrote, I feel disappointed that I didn't push myself harder. I ran the race instead of racing the race. How do you mentally push yourself to race? Yeah, part of part of that um, mentally pushing yourself to race has to do with having a specific goal for yourself that you're wanting to work towards. So -hmm. when you have a set goal, you're often more likely to push yourself a little bit harder towards that goal than if you're just like, I'm just going to go see how I feel. I want to get through the race. There's nothing wrong with that. Like there's different types of goals that we can set for ourselves um, Mm -hmm. in terms of you can have an outcome goal, which is what's the outcome I want from this event. Or you can focus more on short-term goals throughout the race or process goals, which is more focusing on your form and how you want to feel and which helps you stay in the present moment. Mm -hmm. But whichever type of goal you set, um, having something specific that is holding your focus can sometimes help you be able to push in those moments where it becomes challenging. And that's the other thing is, you know, I, um, with my endurance athletes, we'll have a focus plan, just, just like you have your race plan and your fuel plan. We have a focus plan, which helps you identify, well, what are the critical moments in my race when I know I, I tend to, um, I call it feeding the monster. Like we all have a little athlete on one shoulder and a little monster on the other. And whichever one you feed is the one that gets stronger. So what are the moments where you know you're going to feed your monster? You know, moments when you're tired, when you're doubting yourself, when you feel like you want to quit, your body is tired. So um, 
identifying those moments and having a strategy for exactly what you're going to do in that moment to get through it. So having very specific strategies to push in the moments when it's hard is a, a part of that process as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. Makes sense. Um, on a similar note, is grit something that is innate or can it be learned? And, and if it's the latter, how do you develop it? Yeah. So grit, um, I mean, it's in part, it depends on what we're talking about when we say grit, because grit's one of those terms that like, sometimes when we think of that, we also think of resilience or hardiness or perseverance. So grit in particular is this idea of um, this merging of passion and perseverance towards your long-term goals. Like, can I stay the course um, for this thing that's out in the future? Which means part of that process is, am I able to let go of some of the immediate perceived rewards to get the bigger reward at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think of it in, in those terms, it is something, uh, there are different factors involved that can help you be able to have more grit in terms of like, can I really put everything I have into this thing that I want more than anything? So the first piece of that, I think, that sometimes we overlook when we think about like, how can I develop my own grit is, are you actually passionate about the thing that's in front of you? Or Mm. is it something that you just think that you're supposed to do or that Mm. you're supposed to want or you're supposed to be passionate about? But really, so that part for me, like the why is so critical for this idea of developing grit. It's like, do you really you know, what is it about this thing in front of you that fits in with your core values? And why is it that you're going to be willing to sacrifice other things in order to put all of your energy and resources or the majority of your energy and resources towards this thing? So without that piece, I mean, that's a, for me, that's kind of a big piece of where you can work on grit because that's a, a, a piece of it. And then when you have that and you have a really strong why and a really strong vision of that thing that you're moving towards, it's easier to persevere in that Mm -hmm. situation. So there's also, you know, things you could do to kind of set yourself up for success in terms of um, the perseverance piece of like, what are the things that make it easier for me to make the decisions that are in service of that long-term goal? Um, And there's things you can do in that, in that way. Um, But that passion piece is, is a really key piece in there. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, So we've heard from some BAMers um, that say when they try to maintain focus, they end up over-focusing and overthinking and end up doing worse than if they were to just go. So what suggestions would you have for honing focus but not psyching yourself out? Yeah, part of it, it's different. This piece, it's really fascinating for me. It's um, with focus because it's different for different athletes that I work with. But I do a lot of times with people that identify of like, I feel like I'm thinking too much in the race and it's getting in my way. I'm overthinking is sometimes we, it's almost like there's a, I talk about it like you're crossing the threshold from thinking to doing. So when it's, it's race day um, and you cross this idea of the threshold. So there's, there's times where it's important to think. And then there's times where it's important to just trust and do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Part of that crossing the threshold, especially in endurance sports, my, I, I find is um, trusting your training mm-hmm. and letting that go. So, so when you get to race day, 
to really just trust. I, I did everything I could with what I had during that time. Cause sometimes your training doesn't go exactly as planned, mm-hmm. like just, but just trusting, like I did everything I could in order to be ready and be healthy today and to be where I am to, in order to race and just accept then what the day brings. So that's the other piece is like, whatever the race day brings, that's what you're meant to go through that day. So just coming to the line with, with trust um, is a big piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, you hear the term trust in your training bandied about so much, but mm-hmm. th- and then it can be like, well, what do you do with that? So I like knowing that, well, that's what you can do with it. So, so what you're saying just then kind of leads into, um, a question from a mother runner named Lindsay. And she said, I tend to start panicking when things feel harder than they should. And she put harder than they should in quotation marks early on in a longer race. So what are some tips to reframe and stay in the current mile rather than getting caught up in the fear of how much it might hurt in the later miles? So to me, that sounds a little bit like the, we'll stop thinking about it and be doing it. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but you're the expert. So Carrie, so you, you tell us. You're right. That is a piece of it is, um, I talk about it like, uh, like to make sure you're not time traveling, which means Mm -hmm. like thinking too far into the future or thinking in the past of like, well, how am I doing relative to the last race? And I really wanted Mm -hmm. a PR or thinking in the future, like, how am I going to continue for six more miles or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Really just keep your brain where your feet are Mm -hmm. and make sure your, your mind is in the the present moment Mm -hmm. is a pretty significant piece of that what happens when you're, um, when you get into a situation and all of a sudden it feels harder than you expected, that's when it really can sort of mess with you and mess with your perceived effort and mess with how hard you push yourself in that moment. Mm -hmm. So when that happens, um, you know, having different tools to go to, to help settle in, in that moment. Cause sometimes, you know, when you do, when you do endurance events long enough, you and train long enough and you've had these experiences to kind of pull from, you'll know, Oh, there's times where it just in this moment feels hard, but it, I'm going to, I'm going to settle in mm-hmm. and, and kind of trusting that. So then having a specific tool in that moment in order to get through the moment. And that's what helps you stay in, in the present. So it might be, you know, uh, one of the things that can be helpful in that situation where you're, um, it feels like a high perceived effort. Like it mm-hmm. feels like, Ooh, this is harder than I thought it would be. And, and you're, and then the next piece in there is like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. It's not, it might not even be a conscious thought. It's like, this is how your brain is sort of working on this idea of how much do we have to how much energy do we have to put into this thing in front of us? So if your brain's getting the message like, ooh, this is harder than I thought it was, it might slow things down when you don't really need to slow down physically. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, sometimes uh, a good technique is some kind of rhythmic cognitive behavior, which means mm-hmm. basically you're either repeating a mantra to yourself, like with each mm-hmm. foot strike, or maybe you're counting your steps um, mm-hmm. and repeating that. So maybe you count to eight and then repeat that over and over. So having something very specific that you're basically feeding into that, uh, you're, you know, it's like information processing. So if we force that, if we force your brain to process that, it might focus on that instead of focusing on the, the pain that you're feeling mm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's the piece where 
sometimes we slow down. It's like, like when you're running or you're, you know, you're, uh, and all of a sudden you feel the pain in your legs and you say, oh my gosh, this hurts. All of a sudden it intensifies the pain more. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, having tools to get through that, that specific moment and knowing like, it's okay for me to feel this. I think that's another level, like with perceived efforts, there's these two levels that are in place. One is how you actually feel physically. Um, so how am I feeling in this moment? And um, is it, am I wanting to stop? And I'll say that's not always mental. A lot of times we're feeling emotions in that moment because your body is trying to tell you, you need food, you need water. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's not actually mental. It's you need to give your body something and it's trying to tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, but when it is mental, uh, there's this other layer, which is how do you feel about how you feel? So mm. that's basically what's my perception of what this physiological feeling is. Mm -hmm. So for example, like I went for a run this morning and, um, and I'm just getting back after being sick for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, you get kind of detrained after two weeks. So, so I'm going into this run, t preparing myself ahead of time, preparing myself for like, this is probably going to hurt a little, <laughs> like you're just prepare yourself. It's not going to feel like it did before. Cause then you're like, Oh my gosh, I lost all this fitness and I felt so great. And this totally sucks. You know, so you got to, <laughs> stop that feeding the monster that way and kind of prepare yourself for that of like oh it's probably gonna hurt more than it usually does but you're okay so mm -hmm. then when I did it and it did who yeah like um the uh, in those moments where I was feeling it and my and I'm not feeling as strong and my legs are tired um that I'm also I could still find joy in that moment mm -hmm. because my perception of that feeling is different it used to be when I first started running years and years and years ago, I would feel that feeling in my legs and be like, why does anybody do this? This is horrible. Well, this is not enjoyable. I don't know. I don't get it. And that was way before I knew anything about pacing. Like I would go out and sprint and I was like, I don't get this at all. So now my perception is so different. When I feel that feeling, I know like, um, okay, it's, I'm building back mm -hmm. and that it's okay to have that pain instead of being afraid of that pain. So my whole perception of that feeling mm -hmm. is that your perception of that feeling is a really big factor in terms of whether or not you push yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think thinking like, this is the way it's supposed to feel in a race. So I must be doing the right thing. Uh -huh. And then getting the, you know, hopefully you get the confirmation from, you know, your GPS that is like, Oh, I'm doing the pace that I wanted to be doing, this is what it feels like. This is what I've been training for. Um, hello, friend, you you were supposed to be here right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a big piece. What you're talking about there is just accepting, mm -hmm. oh, this is how I'm feeling instead mm -hmm. of thinking, oh, my God, I'm not supposed to feel like this mm -hmm. and fighting against it. And that's part of that overthinking piece, too, is that is really just um, accepting what's happening in the moment instead of fighting against what's happening, because then you're going to make adjustments more quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I often tell people um, I, I'm a believer that, you know, if you are going to get a PR and if you're going to be working that hard, you, you just have to accept that pain is part of it. I mean, you're pushing your body harder than you push it. And so, um, I think what you can't like, just like you're saying, if you, if you accept it and know that it's part of the process, it's, it's, you know, going to work out much better for you. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we, we've got several women, um, who talked about losing their mental focus, um, toward the end of a hard race. Um, so if you're in the last three miles of your half marathon or at mile five of a 10 K, 
Um, and they say that, you know, that they struggle to finish despite being trained to, to stay strong all the way through. So any tips on how to, you know, kind of pull things back together um, in those final miles? Yeah. I, part of that is knowing, like, especially if they've had a few races and they know, like, this is where I tend to struggle is having a set game plan for that time. Um, so that, you know, it's easier to be uh, proactive instead of reactive with your mental training um, to like, uh, you know, ha- be prepared for um, how to address it before you hit your red light, so to speak. So, so knowing that ahead of time um, is really helpful. The other thing is, I think what happens sometimes, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a few people about this now and came up with this analogy that, that I'm sort of playing with because it almost feels like for some people, it's, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like they get senioritis where <laughs> you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're almost there and you're like, eh, this is good enough. <laughs> like I don't really need to push anymore. You know, so it's really this, uh, it's different it's different for different people. Cause I also sometimes have athletes that, um, might be doing a little bit of self-sabotage at that moment too, mm-hmm. and not even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might be, uh, you know, kind of gauging like, where am I at? in in terms of the goal that I set for myself or the secret goal I've been holding on to in the back of my mind that I really want to accomplish. Um, and how am I doing relative to that? And if there's anything in them that thinks, I don't know if I'm going to get that, there's mm-hmm. a little self-sabotage there. So mm-hmm. that they don't have to know that um, it feels very vulnerable for some people to, I put everything out on the line and I didn't do it mm-hmm. and I didn't accomplish my goal. So it's easier on the, the ego. And this is, even, it's not even really a conscious process until we kind of talk about it and bring it out mm-hmm. into the ether. Um, it, you know, it's easier on the ego to do that, to kind of hold back like, oh, cause then you have something to point to that like, well, I, I held back a little bit there. I slowed down, you know, so of course I didn't get a PR that day. Um, so, so it really, it depends on what's, what's the underlying factor. Um, cause that's going to let you know, well, what do I need to do about it? And then again, you know, it's not always mental. Like if it's always happening to you at the same spot and you haven't tweaked your fueling or, you know, mm-hmm. hydration plan, like I don't work on that with athletes, but we're identifying that sometimes as one of the things that they might need to, to do is like, well, first rule that out. Then let's, you know, talk about the mental piece. Right. Right. Gosh, I got to tell you, I, I think I might have to send you a check because that was just a little bit of therapy <laughs> for me right there because um, I'm, I was thinking about that um, after I ran Boston in 2016, I think this is right timing that I wanted to tr- see if I could run a 10 K in f- under 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so worked with a coach And then kind of around mile four and a half, four and three quarters, I thought, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. So I thought, I'm not going to look at my watch for the final mile or 1.2 miles. I'm just going to try to push it as hard as I can. And and I ended up not, I ended up running, I don't know, like 50.03 or something. Uh And I think hearing you say that, I think there was a part of me that really worried I wasn't going to do it. So I just thought, well, I'm not going to look. I'm just going to do my best. Mm -hmm. And boy, I was kicking myself for weeks after that for thinking like, oh, come on. Like if I had looked down at mile five and a half, I'm sure I could have found that four seconds. You may have, right? Like adjusted if you had that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's tough because that's, and that's part of that is like, well, I, I made the best decision I could with the information I had at that moment. And now, and it might not be until later that you go, you know what? 
ah, I thought that was the best strategy. And it turns out that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that maybe I really do need that information because I could Mm -hmm. see either way. I mean, like, because I have some athletes that they'll just get so wrapped up in the numbers on their screen that they're just, it's that like, um, you know, you'll see your heart rate or you'll see what, whatever it is that you're kind of, whatever data you're using. And you think, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to feel the way I feel with that heart rate. And then you mm-hmm. just get in your head and, and your and it messes with you. Mm-hmm. Um, or you see how much further, how much further you have to go. And, and, and you're like, I can't possibly go that much further. So sometimes not having the data is a good strategy, mm-hmm. but when you're that close oh, to your goal, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have a specific goal. Sometimes if you, if you did have that information, you probably, there's a good chance you would have found that four seconds or three seconds. Yeah. 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 And now, of course, now that I've said, maybe, um, who knows, there's a blog post out there. So, so my memory might even be foggy on what the numbers were, but that's that in my mind, that's how it played out. So, right, right. so, um, so, and this is sort of related to a conversation that percolated on our Facebook page. It's about a guest on the rich roll podcast about when we think we've reached our limit of maximal physical effort, we're really not even close to a hundred percent max. And they, People were debating how much we really kind of can use in our brain and all that stuff. And so mm-hmm. how can playing around with digging deeper, like how do you play around with digging deeper without pushing yourself over the edge? You yeah, know? that's a great question. So I sometimes suggest to people to try um, with the, you know, with this idea of like, how do we play with this line and push mm-hmm. myself a little bit harder than I, than my brain thinks I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes just with training, um, if there's a time where like you're going for a certain distance or maybe you're doing intervals at a certain, um, t- you know, timed intervals, like it depends on what your training is that day. But if you could just push 1% more. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like um, you're going to run for 10 seconds past the identified end point mm-hmm. um, or cool. you're going to run a half mile past the identified end point so that your brain gets this message of, oh, I've got more in the tank than I realize sometimes um, so that you can kind of push that, um, push the line a little bit to see well, what's, what am I actually capable of? I think the other thing that's challenging uh, for athletes is this idea of like, I, you know, I have to be willing to, f- I have to be willing to risk failure in order to risk success. Like I have to be uh, you know, there's so many, gosh, there's just so many athletes I've worked with that I think never really knew what their true potential was because they were so afraid of burning all their matches. Mm-hmm. And they were so afraid of of pushing themselves um, to the point of having to stop that they just played it safe for their whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so playing with that 1%, to help your brain get that message of like, oh, sometimes I can, I have more in the tank than I than I realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that one percent idea because it's so digestible and you know seemingly doable. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what advice do you have for folks who can push themselves to run faster? You know, in training, you know, maybe with a partner, um, but then come race day, they struggle to push themselves or to hit their goal pace. Yeah, it depends on why it's happening. Sometimes I see that happen because, you know, when you're out there and you're with, uh, um, I mean, there's a few different reasons. So one is, you know, when you're out there in, and you're training and you're doing it with a friend, it might be more enjoyable. So there's a possibility that you're focused more on um, 
you know, being with that other person or conversations or just enjoying your time out, out there with that person that you're not as focused on the pain and the perceived effort. Mm -hmm. Um, so your brain is focused on something else and that might not be happening on the same on race day. But the other reason it can happen too, if like you find you're someone that tends to get better times in training versus race day is, you know, often, and this goes across all sports. Like if you find you're, you do better in practice than in, in competition, sometimes that means that you're focused on something different on race day that is not working as well for you. And often it's because you're putting more pressure on yourself that day, um, which help, which ends up shifting your, where you choose to focus. So, so there's a few things to kind of diagnose for yourself, like to figure out um, what are some of the pieces in place and, and where specifically am I losing time? Um, and where are the times where it feels like it's harder than maybe in training to start to tease out, how can I build a bridge between the two? Like, mm -hmm. how can I, so that's one of the things to really figure out is to get very specific with like, okay, so when I'm in training and I'm feeling good, where, what am I focused on? Like literally, what am I focused on? What are my thoughts when I feel something challenging? Like what's happening in that situation? And then what's happening on race day and see what the difference is. And sometimes you know, so, sometimes it takes help to see that. Like that's part of what I do is to help people see what those things are because often you just feel like, I don't know what happened. I was felt amazing. I, like I was in my green light, everything felt great. And all of a sudden I was in my red light. When really there's this whole yellow light that, to start to become aware of. Um, and people, and you sometimes just don't realize what, what, what's in that yellow light to kind mm -hmm. of go, oh, that's something I need to pay attention to because I can address it there instead of, waiting until I'm in my red light and having to work harder to get back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so Carrie, when you, this is a question that just sprung into my mind. The, when you were saying about um, there's things that you might be enjoying while training that then is kind of lost on race day or something. Do you think using music in a race is a crutch or are you, wh where do you stand on, you know, like a really, uh, I get asked that a lot. So I, I always recommend um, you, like, you know, knowing ahead of time whether or not you're allowed to use mu music on your race. And if you're not, to make sure you're training, you're having some training time without it. Mm -hmm. So you know what that feels like and you can hone other tools to help. That being said, music for some people, is a, it's a very powerful mm -hmm. um, aid in helping with perceived effort and your rate of perceived effort. And there's all kinds of great research on that too, of mm -hmm. like, you know, matching the tempo of the music to the tempo that you're running and that it can lower your feelings of, of perceived effort. And so it's a great, it can be a very great training tool. I also know some people that um, it's, it's too much stimulus and they don't enjoy it. And it's yeah. not something that they use as a tool. Um, so for me, it's, it's really that it's, if you're someone that, um, enjoys that making sure that you're using it as a tool and not using it as a crutch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause for Dimity, it's just, it's too much sensory. There's people around her, there's people cheering and the music just adds it in. Whereas I'm like, yes, Usher, tell me to, to give you more. I can do this. You know? <laughs> uh, I know. And I'm so jealous of that. Cause I'm like Dimity, like I can't, I can't run with music. It's too, it, not, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I want Usher oh to tell me to. 
darn it. <laughs> it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so so people cross the finish line, and so what about that after race letdown that occurs? You know, mm-hmm. all that training and worry, and it's all over. So, any professional advice on getting over the post race blues, which we want to assure people are very much real, but um, you know, yeah. and it can and please address it as whether or not the person hit her goal or whether she missed it because there's still regardless there's di- there's different flavors of it but it's still blue the same can still be yeah. blue the same i always recommend doing a post performance evaluation or reflection mm-hmm. so some people do this in their race report like if you write your own race reports and in that i specifically um ask athletes to you know first to kind of like talk about what their goals were for the day and and then also and then the first thing after that is what do you feel like went well because mm-hmm. no matter what how the race went there's always things that we can identify it's not black or white we often think it is if we didn't accomplish our goal but it really isn't so make you know encouraging i make my athletes but like <laughs> encouraging them to um to you know to think about what did you do well what what you know what did you do well in your preparation and then on race day um, and identifying that first and then maybe looking at like, what are some of the things that you would change? Um, So with this idea of the post-race blues, um, you know, making sure that you honor what happened on the day, regardless of how it went. Um, And so going through this process in order to get an actual reflection of what really happened, because sometimes if it didn't go the way we wanted, your memory might generalize that to the whole race. It might just be mm-hmm. like the entire thing sucked. Mm-hmm. If you, t- instead of get being accurate with, with that, and it, that's important because you want to use races to build from mm-hmm. and to learn from, um, and to, you know, so, so in that way, that's one piece that can help. The other thing that I, um, that I recommend is to really make sure that you honor and um, celebrate what you did. Mm-hmm. Like we're so, you did, uh, just we're so good at like okay what's next Mm -hmm. like or raising the bar like well if I did that that you know then I gotta raise the bar higher Mm -hmm. and forget to take this time to pat yourself on the back and go you know what nice job like Mm -hmm. you you did so many and to make sure you we extend that instead of just race day I think that's one of the hardest things with endurance athletes is it's not like basketball or baseball where you get you know sometimes you're like okay great I get another chance next week to (laughs) you know what I mean so um it's it's hard sometimes because and because of the nature of it sometimes people will put a lot more pressure on themselves on race day so to really make sure you're stepping back and looking at the whole picture and celebrating not just everything you did that day Mm -hmm. but also all of the decisions that you made that helped you get to the point where you were ready on race day, that mm-hmm. that's part of the, the process also. But to really make sure you take that moment to recognize your efforts and give yourself a pat on the back and say, nice job. Like you worked really hard and maybe I, you know, you didn't do everything you could, you know, or, or things didn't play out the way that you wanted to, but you stepped up to the challenge and not everybody does. And mm-hmm. just that alone is a huge success because you've put yourself in a place where you're going to be vulnerable and that's a big deal. Uh, so really recognizing that and, and, and honoring that and not, and not in a way where sometimes I'll tell athletes that they're like, yeah, well, but you know, I didn't accomplish my goal. So I'm not really going to pat myself on the back. Like, no, all of those things are worthy of patting yourself on the back. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, so before we let you go, um, you have a new book coming out, which is talking about returning from injury, mentally stronger. So why don't you, if you could, um, share two or three of the big takeaways that injured runner injured runners who are listening today can put into action right now. Yes, I um I, I'm so glad you said that, like, because all of you out there that are injured, like, you're still runners, too. I think that's one of the big things is sometimes we think, like, well, who am I if I can't run? Mm-hmm. Like, who am I if I'm not an athlete? And so you're still an athlete. So that's one of the big messages um, in the book and that in that I encourage all injured athletes to really hold on to is when you're injured, you're still an athlete, mm-hmm. but now your recovery is your sport. So mm-hmm. all of the effort and energy and resources you are putting into training and competition now goes into your recovery, that this is just part of the process of being an athlete and it's part of your journey. And right now your journey is to take care of your body and recover. Um, and that that is your sport right now. So you're still an athlete. I think sometimes mm. people feel like they lose their athletic identity. Um, I think the other thing to know is that, um, injuries suck. <laughs> like, there's no way getting around that. Um, they're not pleasant. And, um, and that they really affect the athlete. Um, you know, they affect you both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's challenging about that is I think the way we've sort of got like, um, helped athletes in this recovery has been mostly physical because it's a physical injury. So that's what you're thinking about is like, I have to help Mm -hmm. this person heal physically. So a lot of the energy and the support that an athlete gets is around that and not as much around the mental piece. And we know that both of those factors have an impact on the athlete coming back into sport. Mm -hmm. So Um, you know, so if you are out there and you're injured right now, a couple like of my top tips that I, um, to, to think about right now. And as you're kind of, no matter where you're at in your recovery process is to make sure that you're deliberately adjusting your goals. Um, so sometimes it's challenging when your, your brain is still gauging your feelings of success based on what you were able to do before your injury. And that's hard sometimes. And so it takes this process of really deliberately adjusting your goals to know like I was able to do that and I might be able to get there again, but what do I need to focus on right now in order to do what I need to do to accomplish my goal for tomorrow? Like to, you know, so don't think too far into the future and, and adjust your goals and really focus on what you can do instead of focusing on what you can't do. So it's a hard thing, you know, when you're going through this process, it's like your brain just wants to hold on to like, all of the things you're missing out on, all the things you can't do, but to really make that shift of like, okay, I, I, that's true. I can't do those things. And, but what can I do? There are still Mm -hmm. things I can do. And I've seen athletes use, you know, their injury as a real opportunity to build other parts of themselves physically and mentally Mm -hmm. um, because, because they have this time and because they shift their focus on things they can do that they end up really rebuilding in a way that they wouldn't have if they hadn't gotten injured. Um, it's a really amazing process to see. Like we, we get to hear those stories all the time on the injured athletes podcast where, you know, athletes share with us and like the people that we interviewed for the book, they share with us, you know, and I've heard this independently from different people. Like I would never wish this on anyone. I would never want to go through it again, but I'm so grateful for the experience because it changed me. Like Mm -hmm. it changed the trajectory of their life or of how they were in their sport and they came back even stronger. So it's, um, it's a, 
really beautiful, amazing process. It's not fun when we're going through it, but like <laughs> it can be this really powerful process, but it takes this mental piece and addressing this mental piece to help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think your, I think your uh, new book would be a great, great source of solace and um, help also for a lot of the injured runners uh, in the mother runner community. So they should look for that when that comes out and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, Amanda. Now the question is, does it make you feel more like racing or are you, <laughs> are you like, yes, I'm so glad I don't have a race coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I, I think, I think I'm over racing for the most part. I do. I mean, I, I think there are other ways, as long as you're still challenging yourself, I guess, mentally. Um, and I mean, I find other ways to challenge myself. So, mm-hmm. um, so I guess that's okay. You know, I, I, I guess like there's a, a time and a season and it, I, I guess it doesn't make me necessarily want to go back to racing, you know, and like mm-hmm. put, pouring so much into it. But, um, but obviously, you know, that always having a challenge is good. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. It made me just kind of like images of different races were just binging around in my brain as Kara yeah. was talking. And I'm yeah. like, oh, oh. And suddenly I thought, oh, I kind of miss that. Oh, oh, oh. Well, so. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a part of me that, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, we're headed to, uh, Dimity and I are headed to uh, the Twin Cities Right. And um, I think we would be able to pull a string or two to get me an entry to the 10 miler. And I was like, oh, and then I'm like, wait a minute, that's three. That's now less than three weeks away. And the longest run I've done. And I was like, so (laughs) over the weekend, I'm like, huh. It sounds like a fun idea and a really stupid idea. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, Uh, um, truth be told, I think I have you beat. I, um, so I had a little gym injury this summer that like laid me off for, for a while. I mean, I, oh. I really took a while to, it was just something dumb. I did in the gym the way I moved. And, um, but anyhow, so I, I am running at the end of, well, in two weeks, I'm going to the Tetons and running <gasps> 28 miles. Oh my ten, gosh. Starting at 10,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> longest run I've done to date, 14 miles. So, <laughs> Okay, even I can do the math because that's only half the distance you yes, need to I'm run. Yes, I may get in a 16 this week if I'm lucky. So <laughs> I think, you know what? You feel confident in your 10-miler. You will be yeah, fine. Right, right, because at least I'm four-fifths of the way there. You that are is right. currently that only 50% right. of the way there. <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness all right well uh there's women racing in the train like a mother club so let's hear from dimity what's going on there hey everybody it's dimity here in denver and i am going to drop in with a little fun connection we had recently in the many happy miles group it's from jennifer and she writes i did something that was totally out of my introvert comfort zone i met a stranger for a race but i knew she would be an awesome person because she is a badass mother runner heidi posted this summer about running in the dang humidity i saw she was in chesapeake where i lived 20 years ago and i commented She mentioned she signed up for the 5K on the runway in the town where my daughter's college is. I thought, meet a bammer, run on an airport runway and stay with my daughter, all wins in my book. As we ran, I learned that we lived in the same neighborhood, one street away. The difference was Heidi was in high school and I was a first time mom. It goes to show this really is a small world. We live less than 0.1 miles from each other 21 years ago, and now we live 90 miles away. 
but many happy miles brought us together. A little heartwarming many happy miles tale. Thank you, Jennifer and Heidi, for sharing that. Um, In case you don't know about many happy miles, it's our annual membership program. You get new workouts every month. We bring in experts to give workshops on everything from habit formation to um, motivation like uh, Olympian Dina Castor. And especially if you've crossed a finish line recently, if you've just finished a half marathon or a 10K or something you've had your eyes on for a long time, Many Happy Miles is a really nice place to land because you're going to keep running, but not um, with the intensity of a training program, which is nice, I have to admit. (laughs) So anyway, if you want to check it out, um, check out anothermotherrunner.com slash Many Happy Miles. And have many happy miles this week, you all, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. All right, people, I have one word for you. Tights. Tights. Um, We just introduced uh, two pairs of tights that have signature AMR phrases on them. Um, And we had custom design, so they have these fabric insets on either side. And one pair says many happy miles over and over and over again in um, yellow, orange, and bright pink. And then the other ones are more subdued, and they say Dimity's signature phrase, phrase, which is don't think, just go. And it's punctuated by our shoes logo. And they are super awesome looking. They have big pockets on the hips and nice wide flattering waistband and an infinity draw cord. So they stay up no matter how far you go, what distance. So we are taking pre-orders on those two pairs of tights in our store, the Mother Runner store. We're taking pre-orders until the end of day, September 26th, and then they will be shipped on or before November 1st. So do not delay. Head to motherrunnerstore.com. Click on, on the tab that says Running Bottoms, and there you'll see them along with our four pairs of capris, which are in store if you need those immediately. Um, so anyway, wander over to Mother Runner Store and take a look at our tights and capris and all that good stuff. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm-hmm.